Welcome to Tashma, the podcast where you get to listen in on Hadar's Beit Midrash. I'm Rabbi Avi Killip. Each week this year, we will hear a Dvar Torah on the weekly Parsha from our Rosh Hashiva, Rabbi Aviva Richmond. Let's listen. Dismantling Holiness with Love As Israel traveled through the desert, they frequently erected the Mishkan anew. This means that they also deconstructed the Mishkan frequently, dismantling what had been sacred. The act of taking down the Mishkan was an especially fragile moment. When we are so aware of the logistics involved in creating spaces to facilitate a sublime experience, it can become demystifying, for better and for worse. In Parsha Bamibar, we get a behind-the-scenes view of the logistics of holiness and a profound message about how to balance the mystique of holiness alongside the very mundane and relentless work to sustain it. At the end of Parsha Bamibar, the last group of the tribe of Levi receives their task. The clan of Kehat carries the most sacred items of the Mishkan, Kodesh Kodashim, including the Ark. It is no simple matter to transport these vessels that command such gravity and honor while set up. In particular, the Ark requires a careful procedure where first Aaron and the Kohanim cover it with the parochet, the curtain that separates the Holy of Holies from the rest of the Mishkan, and then cover it with other cloths. Only afterwards may the clan of Kahat pick up the Ark. The stakes are high for this custodial role for the Kodesh Kodashim. If they catch a glimpse in the wrong moment when the sacred is, quote, swallowed up, they will die. Don't let the Kahatites go inside and witness the dismantling, swallowing up of the sanctuary lest they die. This punishment seems over the top. Is it really plausible for those so closely involved in transporting these holy items to make absolutely certain they never see them? Maybe in this ad hoc context, there could have been more convenient standards. But the Torah pushes back on that instinct and teaches that it takes great care to maintain a sense of Kedusha in such an unstable situation. The only way for the Mishkan to mean anything when it was dismantled so often was for those involved in logistics to constantly be aware of its power. There are two possibilities of what this danger might actually be. One concern is exposure of what is most holy and usually hidden, like other passages in the Torah where we see that inappropriate access to the Ark can lead to death. But the commentator Ibn Ezra sides with a different concern, that Kahat would see the sacred being covered It is precisely in the moment that logistics involve packing up the sacred that a sense of holiness might vanish. What used to demarcate the space from which the divine voice emanated now becomes a nondescript piece of luggage, and God's voice is gone. The moment those who transported the ark thought of it as just moving furniture is when the Mishkan would be truly dismantled, robbed of its essence. Shockingly, though the Kohanim and Levi'im in the desert had to engage in such intricate coordination in dismantling the Mishkan, the Talmud relates that in later times the curtain was pulled back for everyone to see the Ark in full view. Said Rav Katina, when Israel would come up to the Beit HaMikdash for pilgrimage, they would roll off for them the parochet, the curtain, and show them the kruvim that were intertwined with one another, and say to them, See, your love before God is like the love of male and female. How could it be that the Torah requires the Kohanim to carefully throw the cover over the Ark so not even they glimpsed it as the Mishkan was dismantled, but the curtain was pulled back for everyone who came to Vita Mikdash in later times 
to see the Ark in full view. Rav Nachman explains that there were two very different stages in Israel's relationship to God. In the desert, Israel and God were like a modest bride still in her father's house. Hence the restrictions on a gaze that would invade this privacy. Once they entered the land, i.e. got married, the dynamic of the relationship shifted and intimacy became more comfortable. Ironically, caution about veiling the mystique of the Mikdash diminishes once there is a more settled place for divine dwelling. Instead of the grand structure of the Beit HaMikdash introducing a measure of distance compared to the modesty and intimacy of the Mishkan in the desert, its stability correlates with familiarity and ease in our relationship with God. The passage goes on to speak of a later stage of divorce during exile and depicts a return to a love as delicate and deep as the first love. The image of love between God and Israel ultimately is like the mutual and familiar embrace of the Kruvim atop of the ark, not the uncomfortable transgressive gaze of an outsider peeking at the ark. In this dynamic trajectory of distance and closeness, a relationship with God becomes a story of two lovers jittery about opening themselves up to each other failing each other, and finding the possibility of connection again. Where are we in this story of creating and dismantling the possibility for an intimate sense of holiness? How do these intense images of lovers affect our sense of the logistics of Kedusha? When we focus on the delicateness of the moment of dismantling the Mishkan, it reminds us that God isn't just there to be encountered. Real people do a whole lot of work with rough edges, to create the context for a glimpse of holiness. Being part of this behind-the-scenes logistics could in theory be deflationary. To roll the Torah, you open the ark without ceremony, place the Torah on a table without procession, open it and glance at the words, but recite no blessing. Torah can feel just a bit more like an unwieldy object made of parchment, ink, and wood, rather than an access point for some kind of deep relationship with the divine. Yet, Like any relationship rooted in profound and unfathomable love, awareness of the raw details need not diminish our sense of the divine. Even those acts of dismantling contain a distinct power. Jewish life and community over the past many centuries reflects a constant state of attempting to carve out space for holiness across time and space, dismantling previous attempts and trying again. There is always the potential for this kind of instability to undermine a sense of the power of holiness, but it can also lead to a much more healthy and robust religious life. It becomes entirely out of the question to slip into familiarity and a fetishized vision of holiness overly fixated on a particular form of expression. By virtue of each moment of our life experiences and knowledge of the wider world around us, it would be a vast error to assume that the way to reach God from where we stand today is exactly the same as it was yesterday. There are periods of distance and jittery nervousness when we feel we may have landed on a new possibility for connecting. Dismantling and rebuilding holiness so frequently is hard. As our Parsha emphasizes, it can have drastic consequences, but it is of absolute necessity until we have the confidence to say God dwells securely in our world. While we remain in a much less certain reality, all we can do is trust that God is waiting to embrace us at every turn, like the Kruvim, and set our compass with this vision of a deep, mutual love as our North Star. Shabbat Shalom. We'll end with the melody for Mim Komcha by Joey Weisenberg. Mim Komcha Tofiyah 
This episode of Tashma was produced by Jeremy Tabak and Sam Greenberg. I'm your host, Rabbi Avi Killip. It's been a pleasure to learn with you.